love sushi, I love Japan. My social life has hit the fan. All I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say. Guru Gamesh, my life's a mess. My figure collection is racking up debt. My wife has left, my house is gone. Time to get my butt to Sakura Con. Guru Gamesh. The year is 2022. The OnlyFans Federation has declared a war against the Principality of Podcasting. All sides have had huge casualties, but one weapon remains. The Garugamesh. Is my bad rendition of an early 70s anime opening. It's yes, a jam. Uh, 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 and much like the initial uh, one-year war, we're going to cause a lot of damage with our following episode. <laughs> Welcome to the Grugamesh Podcast, the only in one place for anime discussion on the internet. Do not question that. And today might be the most important episode we ever do. My favorite thing on planet Earth. Zoids the animation! Excellent. <laughs> So, just to break it down, Zoids began- I don't actually know anything about so Zoids. So Zoids began as a, as, a, as, a, as a cheap marketing tool and remains that to this day. <laughs> Alright, more to the point. I like big robots. I mean, I think that you dig giant robots. Yes, I, I do. I dig giant robots. We dig giant robots. I'm- and chicks dig giant robots. Sure, that's a stretch, but sure. <laughs> Chicks apparently dig giant robots. According to my research, they do. So, Mobile Suit Gundam might be the most important pop culture export Japan has ever created. It is a yeah. billion yen empire that this year has technically outsold Dragon Ball briefly. Really? Ooh. Yes. Wait, this yeah, year? Yes, so according to Bandai uh, report, in terms of merchandising and IP... Gundam has briefly outsold Dragon Ball for a few months. It expects it to retake its place, but okay. it's 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 an empire yes, you know it, to be tangled with. Like Gundam is Japan's Star Wars and Star Trek all bundled into one. It is a serious war drama, but it's also a merchandising empire. Gundam is everything that makes anime anime. And it's going to be so difficult to encapsulate all of my thoughts and feelings and new type premonitions into an hour episode. This was terrifying. And I've seen it before. You two... Had not. Have... Yeah, no. so... Well, I had watched the first compilation movie yes. about a decade ago. And it just completely just flew out of my mind. Yeah, so I was going to say that 4.5 on my anime list was definitely a, a big tear in our friendship for many years. Sorry, brother. <laughs> and and you're like an infinitely better than me. The closest I'd come to Gundam Wing is that once I almost bought a graphics card with a Gundam, uh, Gundam Wing theme on it. That's, <laughs> That's it. That's quite neat, actually. Yeah, so... That's the closest. But this, this is a good example yeah. of the popularity of Gundam in that there are branded Gundam graphics cards. Yeah, no, there's, there, there is Gundam literally everything. And despite it being this way, it's only in recent times that Gundam has been a recognizable force in Western anime fandom. Like, it's had its peaks and valleys. Like, yeah. the early 2000s, America couldn't get enough of certain Gundam series, which yes. we will be covering 
at later stages in the podcast lifetime. So here's what we're covering in this episode. We cannot cover the entire franchise and we'd be doing a disservice if we'd we did. We'd be here for about 10 hours, yeah. I think. And you'd probably just turn to dust after that yeah, hours. Yeah, I would. Uh, hell, I mean, hell, it's all, it's big. I'd argue that there's probably a bit more, uh, there's more content to cover on Gundam than there is with Dragon Ball. Yes. And that's saying yeah. something. There is, there Gundam absolutely is. is. probably one of the single largest media franchises on the fucking planet. And possibly planet. one of the most important animated pieces of fiction ever commissioned. Yes. And to be clear to our 14 listeners, all three of us have done a two-parter on Dragon Ball that you've probably listened to because it's probably it's our most popular episode. Definitively, yes. Yes. Yeah. And we've all agreed that each of us alone could probably produce another hour each of Dragon on Ball. Dragon Ball. So imagine that times five, except it's mostly me yes, doing it, the all, talking. All of that is distilled into so Jay. what we'll be covering in this particular episode is we'll be covering the original Mobile Suit Gundam television series, the Mobile Suit Gundam film compilation trilogy based on the TV series and any sort of spin-off manga such as Gundam the Origin that sort of go around the story of the One Year War. And I will give a brief synopsis of Gundam in case anyone's tuning in just out of curiosity. So before we get into that, and before we get into just Gundam's general place in English-speaking anime fandom, what are your experiences, not strictly with Gundam, right? but with giant robots in general. Because I was very insistent, because this is my show, yeah. that the first mecha anime we cover was Gundam, so I could sort of get a lot off my chest and establish some very important history about the genre that the West tends to, how do I say this politely, fuck into a gravestone. Gloss over yes. in a much more polite way. <laughs> that was the actual polite way, yes. but yes. go ahead. Yes. So I like I like big robots. I am not but I've never really considered myself like a mecha fan or mm. a mecha head. Like I've seen like I've seen my big my big big robot shows. Like yeah. I've seen the Evangelions, my Gurren Lagans, blah blah blah. But Gundam was one thing that I've always kind of kept on the periphery. A lot of people in your scenario, because here's the thing. I think it's very easy to for people to, you know, for us to believe that people say, you robots. But in yeah. reality, a lot of very deep weebs know Gundam's good. Mm -hmm. It's just an intimidating franchise it's to jump into if you don't know that much about it. Because once you get like a like a crash course that takes five minutes, you can kind of just go wherever you want. Let's 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 put it this way: Gundam has been running on Japanese television almost consistently since Seda 19, released. Yeah, since 1979. Yeah. Like there are there are so many different TV shows, OVAs, manga, video games, and here's the thing: it's not all connected. And one of the biggest advantages of Gundam as a series is the fact that you, there, a lot of stuff that came over here was designed to just be viewed without any context of the original universal century timeline, yeah, like that original you, space war. This is how we end up with things like Wing and Seed. And G, but, like yes. all of that kind of stuff. So I imagine you have a much shorter answer than Gabe, Vic. For the question of what? What is your experience of the mecha genre, just period? Oh, right. So yeah, my answer is shorter. So I was, what, I was a Big fan of Evangelion. I um, liked Gurren Lagann. I didn't love it. I did like it. 
I've watched what? What are that mech anime? I've watched quite a few. In fairness, I've actually watched quite a few. That's the. This is the first time I'm hearing of it, and I live with you. Yeah. No. 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 I've watched a few mecha anime. Um, I just like like them. I've just never been obsessively mecha anime yeah, oriented. I, I'd basically say the same as Vic again. Yeah, that's it's like fair. I've I've dipped my toes in lots of well, different areas. Asset, you've got a few more cards because you've seen like you're a very much a Gynax man when it comes to your big robots. Yeah, Gunbuster, like Diebuster, Daikon, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I've also I have dipped my toes in a lot of super stuff. Well, not a lot, but some super mm, stuff mm, as well. Mm. Most of my sort of like super robot stuff comes from reading early manga. Yeah. Stuff like Which Giant is Robo, a trip Mazinger. in of itself. Yeah. Oh, and let's not forget the greatest super robot g- yeah. of all time, Mega's XLR. Oh, Mega's XLR will get its own episode. Like, you, th- you think I'm joking right here? <laughs> I will track down the creators and beg them to make a new season, even though they can't because it was written off for tax purposes. Anyway, so there's a lot to cover. And before we get to the the you know the the big the big G itself, mm-hmm. we'll establish what we've watched and how you know the West views Gundam. So I tasked you two gentlemen with viewing the Mobile Suit Gundam movie trilogy, which yes. is sort of like a cut down, edited, and basically polished version of the original TV serialization. And arguably, I might even go as far to say it's a big part of why Gundam became as popular and significant. Undeniable, like at, at like definitive fact is yeah. is that sentence. So I'm I, you know, rewatched the movies, which I've already seen half a dozen times. I've watched the 0079, as it's nicknamed, due to its year of taking place. The first time, all the way through, and yeah, it's a classic. Like I'm, I know we skipped over me, but. I'm a big giant robot head. Like I lo- I think this is one of the most underappreciated genres in American and English speaking countries. And because if you like anime, it's very likely that this genre had something to do with influencing a t- either a tiny or a massive part of what you enjoy about this Absolutely. cartoon medium. Absolutely, but in fairness, it's also due to where it's placed in literal history. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like at the at the beginning of it, of anime's popularization, oh, yeah, yeah. it was going to be a touchstone for all of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So when people think Gundam, like a lot of the stuff that kind of came over to the West was a lot of the the spin off content. So for anyone just tuning in, most Mobile Suit Gundam TV shows essentially follow a similar formula of space colonial warfare with 18-meter giant robots called mobile suits, and usually the main characters, be they traumatized children, emo boys, or kung fu men, usually pilot specialized mobile suits known as Gundams. Now, there are various spin-off series that take place in their own universes that you don't need to know anything about. So America got Gundam Wing in the year 2000, and it was a massive ratings hit. Like, we'll probably be forced to do an episode on Wing because it's so influential in American fandom circles. It was the it was Toonami's most, like, for a single viewing, it had the highest ratings for, like, a first episode debut of all time. Beat Dragon Ball, beat Sailor Moon. Fucking impressive. It is. It, it was, yeah, no, it, it was, it was its highest viewed, viewed program in the first week, week of its syndication. So a lot of Gundam's viewership comes from how Wing kind of perceives itself. And Wing was a lot more fantastical. Wing's marketing was very much 
big robots, cool boys, explosions. I mean, the Wing the, Wing the Actual TV series was a lot of very sad teenagers having conversations in a room and maybe a robot would do something. But a lot of people kind of coloured their perception of what Gundam was and kind of wrote it off as just another action series as opposed to a big thesis on what it is to be a a soldier, what it is to be in war, and what it is to transcend into adulthood with the evolution of man. Like, it, it sounds like some heady stuff, and it kind of is. Uh, but it is. if you've seen the meme of the, the MS Paint Gundam shooting its beam rifle in the air and saying, war isn't very good, and then the Pac-Man saying, ah, cool robot, it is repugnantly accurate. Yeah, that that's pretty much the entire message yes. that I get from watching the Gundam trilogy, is war is bad. Also, don't send kids into war. So, um, before we get into sort of the history of where anime was in the 70s, I might as well give a synopsis. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam tells the story of a intergalactic space war between the Earth Federation and the outlying colonies, the biggest alliance of which known as the Principality of Xeon. Um, a young boy by the name of Amaro Ray uh, is in a siege. His colony is attacked by a Zeon scouting regiment where he discovers his father's creation, the RX-782 Gundam Mobile Suit, which is said to change the tide of the war. And from there, it charters the crew of the White Base, a new battleship filled with civilians and untrained teenagers on how they basically survive this allegory for the Second World War with big robots and lasers, and it's a message of youth and humanity and the evolution of man. Also, buy the toys. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty solid synopsis. Um, also, Sunrise really wants you to buy some toys. Yeah. Really yeah. badly. And we'll get to that, because it's an intrinsic part of Gundam history. And that allegory part, although it uh, at the beginning is at least a little bit layered or complex or a little bit obscured, towards by the third by the third compilation film, they're yeah. laying it on fucking thick. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. There's there, once you get further into the series, there's not much subtleties about its political leanings. No, they literally make reference to, to Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know there was a guy called Hitler, right? You sound a lot like him. <laughs> they were like, uh, I will be a child of Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gear and Zabi, you fucking goof. <laughs> it was it was a funny moment. I'll give him that. It was funny. No, no. I mean, it's it's un it's incidentally hilarious. But the the message is that fascism lives on. Like you know, yeah. the principality of Zion is so is basically the story of Germany. It's the story of the Weimar government. The story of a nation crippled by an unfair codependency on other nations it doesn't want anything to do with. This is actually fleshed out in the Gundam Origin OVA series, which is a very good companion prequel piece that kind of focuses on how the independence movement started and then got corrupted by a bunch of these weird fascist Nazi assholes who were like, so instead of independence, we want us to be the main power. Let's nuke Australia with a colony. Lovely. Positive. <laughs> Excellent. True humanitarian yeah. work there. It makes me ecstatic to be alive. Gundam is not reluctant to show the true horrors of war and the extent yeah. to which that has political impacts mm. on people. Like one of the main goals for this TV show was that Yoshiki Tomino, the creator who we will be talking a lot about this episode, uh, yes. definitively wanted a serialized television show aimed at teenagers and young adults, which the giant robot genre 
in terms of anime yes. wasn't quite doing. It's so, a different story for manga. So we're going to get into yes. this. So let's let's talk about a, br- a brief history of Mecha okay. up until the late 70s. Yeah, well, I'll be as brief as I can in terms of this. So, so Mecha is generally considered to have started with a work called Tetsujin 28 Go. Yep, by uh, Mitsutero Yokoyama, yep. who is basically the grandfather of what if we could troll a big robot who could do big punches. Yes, Yokoyama is fantastic, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, Tetsujin 28 Go has a little bit of a different twist on the Mecha genre in that there's no piloting. Yeah, well, it kind of started like that because it, it evolved from Astro Boy, who was just an android yep. of superpowers, to... Uh, Kaneda, the main character yep, who of this, c- controls yeah. the Tetsujin with, with it's with his Atari twenty six hundred stick. Basically, yeah, it is basically <laughs> a twenty six hundred controller, which is interesting because it's before the twenty six hundred yeah. came out. But anyway, um, and then as we move further into the seventies, we get developments primarily from shows by Gonagai. Yeah, so Gonagai is the creator of Mazinga Z, which is a basically the first super robot in which robots are treated like giant superhero beings in which they're they're physically piloted by a pilot. Yeah. And uh Mazinga Z introduces a bunch of things like uh laser beams and rocket punches and then Ken Ishikawa, a sort of assistant and disciple of um Gonagai creates Get a Robo, which is the first combining super yep. robot. And all of these shows start out with the premise of young male protagonist finds a giant robot that was created mm. in some capacity and by his father. Aliens or yep. dinosaurs or alien dinosaurs or something of that combination. Or just other creatures yeah. of some kind. So it's very much humans versus the other yep. is a big key in terms of this type of giant robot and show. I think it's worth bringing up alongside the developments of Mecha, because they, both of these genres tie in quite heavily to what Gundam would eventually become. There's also the development of space opera stories oh, throughout yes. the 70s, massively. Um, a lot of which was driven by Leiji Matsumoto, yeah. creator of works like um, Space Battleship Yamato, Space Pirate Captain Harlock, mm. all, all of these shows that depict a grand, almost like a grand sea quest. Yeah. In the classical sense, obviously, in space, space is a sea of stars. Yeah. Follows these groups of ragtag um, outlaws, soldiers, whatever. And every they, woman looks like they have the same face. Yes. As they traverse through the stars on this quest to save humanity. So, for context, Yamato was a big shadow hanging over Gundam. Oh, massively. Yeah. So, Huge. it was. So, for context, not sure if you know this, Vic, um, anime wasn't really referred to as anime for a long time. It was called manga TV and manga film because that's how unimportant it was considered. Yes, and the actual uh, backbone of it was manga itself. Yeah. They were just yep. trying to make it... M- Pretty much. So yeah. a, a common technique, which we're going to get on into later, or practice, I should say, instead of technique, is an anime TV series, yeah, whatever. But if we can get a movie, yep. if we can get a movie, that's where the big bucks are. Because and Space Battleship Yamato as a TV series wasn't that impactful. The movie, however... The movie however, was huge. A lot of this has to do with broadcasting yeah. Japan during the era, because a lot of anime were broadcast regionally, not nationally. Yeah. So, cert- obviously, certain film studios, film studios, certain TV studios would get would, certain rights to certain yeah. shows at certain times, yes, and would only be able to broadcast them in certain regions, such as say the Tokyo region. 
Um, the trick with then releasing a compilation film is, is that everyone, can everyone see gets it. to see it, and it's not restricted to certain times on TV. It will play, say, you know, a course over the course of a week, yeah. at multiple times throughout the day, and people across the nation can go see it. And this is where shows like Yamato really start to blow so up. So, for context, this might blow your mind a bit. The Space Battleship Yamato compilation film was released in 1977. Um, a, a, another space opera was also released in 1977. Oh, really? Oh, really? What, what space opera was that? A young and upcoming American graffiti director known as George Lucas. And in Japan, Space Battleship Yamato fucking crushed Star Wars. Yep. A film that was yeah. arguably one of like, the most Star, successful films Star ever Wars released to that point. did do well in Japan, but nowhere near as well no. as Yamato. So we have this history of Mecca and an alongside it history yeah. of space opera leading up to the late 70s. Yeah. And by this point, like even like a super robot, you know, fan like myself or just a Mecca fan yeah. as myself, like the creators of these shows were getting sick of them. Uh-huh. Like they were incredible. Like the one thing I'm not going to fight is the fact that in terms of TV, because a lot of their manga counterpoints were a lot more, you know, mature and had storylines. TV was monster of the week. Like yep. they used that term very verbatim. And the people making them were getting fucking sick of it. Like, now, I, on the other hand, on contrast to Mecca, mm. space opera shows generally, like, they'd be episodic. You could watch an yeah. episode on its own and understand, but they had much larger quests that were built up over the run of the show. Yamato being perfect example of this, mm -hmm. where they have to... Like, a bunch of Matsumoto stuff, minimum. Like, the first season... The first season of Galaxy Express 999 is like 40-something episodes. Oh, yeah. Likewise of Harlock and et cetera oh, and the, so forth. The TV series for Galaxy Express is like 113 episodes yeah. in total. Harlock's like 42. Yeah. Um, Yamato's 26, but was mm. originally scheduled so, to run 52. moving on to the Gundam crew. Yes. So Yoshiki Tomino is one of the principal creators of Gundam. Yep. He's still uh, with the franchise to this day. He's a very jolly, uh, very sort of audacious man back in the day he made a he was a very ambitious dude yes sometimes to his own fault but i can't help but love the man because of it because he's a very quirky very outspoken individual but here's the thing we often talk about you know young upcoming guys who you know wanted to do something very particular who were new to this industry and grew up on anime and wanted to sort of you know definitively take on this new medium tomino did this as a job Yes. Just as like a nine to five, I'm going to do this. So before Gundam, he had directed like four, five, maybe even six super robot shows. Like directly before Gundam, he directed both Daitan Free and Zambot Free, two very similar shows that tried to do what Gundam eventually would do. In Zambot Free, there's a famous scene where the civilians are like, fuck off, you bastard, we don't want your big robot here, you killed my cat, you fucking wankers. I mean, fair enough, killed the cat. Yeah. Yeah. But, but no, like famously, he got the nickname of um, Kill Them All Tomino, because his shows had famously high body counts, despite yes. being for children. And Tomino had been in the industry for a good decade at he, least. He was 37 when yeah. Gundam was greenlit. He'd started working at Toei in, I believe, the 50s on just like in-betweens um, alongside yeah, like, creators like Miyazaki. Like he was a storyboarder, like he was never an animator. And he slowly just eventually, yeah. as is tradition in that era, climbed his way up the ranks. Yeah, exactly. Until eventually, started directing his own shows, directed several of them, and by the late 70s, 
getting a bit sick of it. Yeah, he wanted a change. He wanted something to become more realistic, which is where his invention, or development rubber, of the real robot genre. Now, when you say this out loud, it sounds a bit fucking ridiculous. Yes. So what? what is what is the real robot? Okay, so talking loose as fuck, like the, the loosest definition I can give is super robots... Um, basically, people piloting these robots can will these things to work through the power of magic, friendship, martial arts, or whatever. Some external force. Real robots are basically, what if tanks had arms and legs and were used for modern warfare? So, to put it in a better way, it's that in super robot, sorry, in regular robot, they try and constrain them within some type of yeah, so some, some type, type of, physical of some type of rule real, like physical you know, reality yes. or forces ammunition and fuel for instance are super robot none you of that can matters use the power of friendship yeah. there is some type of so we'll say supernatural force yeah. that might that can be drawn upon to produce yeah. let's say more power than should have been possible couldn't have put it better myself though granted a lot of shows do cross over which is why it's not a very strict binary but it helps for but, this particular yes. episode so in general we'd say that real robot is incorporating like more of a sense of realism more military yeah. stuff more kind of ranks saluting ammunition conservation worrying about politics that kind of stuff yeah what would actually be what what would actually happen if a little kid was running around with a giant like fucking 20 foot robot that could stomp on people and shoot laser beams pretty much yeah what what would that actually look like and that's what space that's what yeah that's what (laughs) tobino starts to explore with Mm. gundam he starts to develop it he starts to develop the idea and kind of looks around the industry and sees how steel the mecha genre has become. Yeah. But then also notices just how popular shows like Yamato are getting. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think Gundam and the development of Real Robot really comes about. Yeah. The combination of the stylistic trappings of Super Robot anime with the story structure and thematic content of space opera. Which brings us to our second big name. Like, I'm going to be listing a bunch of Japanese people. Okay. Uh, calling back to our Dragon Ball episode, where I also listed a bunch of Japanese people. Like I listed Tomino as one of Gundam's fathers because there's a lot of people who contributed to this, and none more so than Yosh- uh, than Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, who was the character designer and animation director for Gundam, who worked on Yamato. Yeah, and he also ended up writing the origin. Yeah, he wrote the or- yeah. he wrote and uh, and uh, penciled and inked and whatever the origin manga. He's more recently done a Gundam film based on a lost episode which we'll get yeah. to. And he's generally very well respected yeah, in the industry. No, yes, I he- I have to put a uh, put a point in here because I don't have a ton to say about Gundam just cuz uh, it just seems like it's not fully my sort of thing, although mm. I did very much enjoy it. But this is one of the things that I noted from movie one yeah. that seemed to be consistent all the way through to movie three. The character designs are phenomenal. Uh, this is 70s cartoons. Everybody has the same fucking face unless they have like a really crazy scar or their head is like the so- eight times the size of everyone else's. But the designs on the characters... Fuck me. They are so good, distinctive, but they're not distinctive in a shitty way yeah. or like in a like it's, a it's crazy in a very subtle way. way. 
Yes, in it's a real, subtle. In a realistic way. Yes, they're like subtle ways. So people, everyone's still wearing uniforms, yeah. but they are distinct in different ways. And you can differentiate the characters, which especially for 70s animation was fucking impossible. Yeah, for like, some of the bad 70s animation, yeah, especially. If you Google, um, Gundam isn't immune to this because you, you two watched... The movie trilogy, which yes. had redrawn animation. The TV series is not that fortunate in some episodes. If you Google bad Gundam animation, you'll just get a bunch of like um, disproportioned uh, frames of the Gundam or its head's massive, its body's tiny. <laughs> the OG Gundam TV series is just an absolute goldmine for quote unquote quality screen cops. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's mainly in the mid portions because I'll get to the production yet, but yeah, I just wanted to highlight that because of things like, yeah. uh, what is it? Charles design fucking class. I beautiful. Yeah. Like Suichi Akeda, who's the Japanese guy who voices him literally saw his design saying, yo, yo, do you have anyone for this character? Yo, let me read for him. He looks fucking badass. He is, Champion. Like he it's such a it's a brilliant design on two fronts because one, it looks brilliant, yeah. but two, it's a simple enough design that it wouldn't kill the fucking animators to draw it every fucking time. Fucking well key. observed, because that became a big issue later on. Yeah. So like I noticed that immediately. I was like, that's just brilliant. The fact that they incorporated that, the fact that he's also I think he's more or less the only person. I don't remember any other characters having samurai helmets. But in that stylized yeah. way, but they, oh, it was just, I was like, okay, yeah. they've done designs here super well. It's super thoughtful. They've done it really cleverly. I wanted to throw that in. Yeah, that no, such totally. A fucking- like, here's the thing. Yasiku's art actually kind of saved the franchise later on, and we'll yeah. get into that later. But yeah, uh, Yasuhiko was, he kind of, you know, was called up by Tomino saying, yo, I'm doing this new project. I want you in. You're the best character designer in the biz. And he was like, all right, I've seen your scripts. They're good. I want in. But something that Yasuhiko actually complained about was that um, back in the day, you needed actual supplies of color mm-hmm. to, to paint cells. And Yamato had 300 color palettes, like in this distant color. Gundam had 79. Which is quite a, yeah. it's quite a substantial So gap. Yasuhiko demanded that he the colors be bumped up for 82 if he was going to work on, because he was, you know, animation director. Yeah. He kind of dictated how the show worked and he noted in an nhk documentary that i took a lot from gundam the inside story great great time highly recommend it and he was like yamato has 82 shades of gray we have 82 colors like they like nippon sunrise which was the sunrise studio that was working on gundam was working with a lot of rad tag resources like they weren't getting sunrise's best wait they only had 82 colors yeah Okay, there's another point we have to give a shout out to Gundam then, because they use their colors so well. So fucking well, yeah. especially if they only have 82. Okay, I thought it was just a stylistic choice, but now it sounds like it was functional too. No, yeah. Which is that they, um, at various points, I noticed that you like hardcore go in on basically a giant color contrast. Yeah. So they'll wash out half the screen with like one or two shades of a color and they'll do the like an opposite contrast or like a similar half contrast. So for instance, they'd have like a yellow and then they'd have like a dark green to shade the other half of a half of an image. 
and that would color out most of most of a scene. Yeah, it looked fantastic. It's a trade. It would become a trademark Gundam technique, right? But I had no idea it was also to do to compensate yeah. for a fucking functional difficulty. Yes, yeah. it seems to be something that. It seems to be a lot of what defines Gundam has come out of what was ultimately limitations. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because Sunrise, we know them as this huge company with yeah. enormous amounts of money. Cowboy Bebop, Code Geass, yeah. Yeah. anything you can think of. All with beautiful, gorgeous, highly detailed quality animation. But Gundam is what gave them the money in the first place to yeah. do that. They Which didn't is have that before because it it wasn't getting the resources to get made. Yeah. So I'm gonna list off a bunch of guys that worked on this before we get into the actual show itself, our thoughts and feelings, different sort of cool factoids. So the the, the third head in the big trio, whenever Gundam documentaries or Gundam like um, information videos are made, is Kunio Okawara. And he is credited as anime's first mechanical designer. Why is that? Because he did everything. So in essence... Mechanical designer is a role that even non-mecha anime need. People who are just good at drawing machinery, people who are good at drawing technology, and he was the first one to be credited as a mechanical designer. Like before, mechanical designers were just part of the art team, just credited as bulk, but he did such distinct mechanical design that he, you know... It kind of kind justified. Of paved, yeah, paved the way for people like um, Shoji Kawamori, creator of Macross, and Yutaka Itsubuchi, creator of, you know, Razafan, and worked a bunch on Gundam Even and Palette like, designs. understandably had an influence on creators like Masamune Shiro, who yeah. is incredibly detailed about his machine. Yeah, yeah, like Masamune Shiro's career would not exist without Kunio Okawara. Like, period. So he is responsible for every mecha design seen in this series. And what's quite funny is that, like, I have an RX-782, which is the main Gundam, if you just type in Gundam into the internet, on my shelf. I love the design, it's so simple, and yet so effective. I'm I'm looking at him, he's very pretty. And originally, those collars were not supposed to be there. So, originally, Tomino wanted to commit to a hardcore realism vision. So originally, all the robots were just going to be grey, or maybe, like, camouflaged, maybe have some slight purple accents, but, like, very muted. And Cloverworks, which is the toy company that sponsored them, because I'm not sure if you you noticed that, uh, sorry, not sure if you know this fact, most anime made back then was sponsored by toy companies. It wasn't really a choice. Uh, yeah, I am aware that it was a, uh, it was a unfortunate reality. Yeah, yes, so. The, the media mix has, is a tradition that's been alive Like long it still exists nowadays, but it's much more lax oh, in terms of yes. the toys having control. Although yes. in fairness to the rest of the mediums yeah. around anime, it seemed to be the case for literally everything. Yeah. For oh, example, yeah. I believe in the 60s, news was still sponsored by cigarette oh, companies, yeah. for example. 100%. So a lot of this was intermingled and mixed, but continue. So, yeah, so Cloverworks was a relatively, they were an upstart toy company that weren't massive. So they um, would put out Gundam toys, and these Gundam toys would they'd they would sell good, but for a they good enough for a small company is pennies for some yeah. someone like Bandai. So they insisted that most popular robots had a mix of primary colors. So you know you know blues and reds, and so it was I think it was Yasuhiko who suggested doing blue and red and accents of yellow. But there's a reason why Zeon soldiers still call the Gundam, the White Devil, because that's what it was in the script, because it was only supposed to have one colour. 
and so you know the toy companies were like you know give the main robots a lot yes. a lot of color the toy companies unfortunately turned yeah. around and said you know gray robots aren't really going to sell but here's the interesting thing they didn't care about the Xeon forces because they right. were traditionally, you don't sell action figures of the bad guys. They get beaten in one episode. What's the point? So Okawara got to go fucking mental in designing the Zakus. And um, they are gorgeous. Yeah. They're so cool. Like just to some of the designs of the Zakus and there are, there's revisions of the Zakus consistently yeah. appearing throughout the show. Yeah. And that's honestly one of the highlights for yeah, me is like, seeing these beautiful new mechanical designs. The Zakus are known for their trademark mono eye, their green color scheme, their shoulder pads, their almost World War One Lewis gun with the circular magazine and their heat hawks, which are the big fucking plasma axes. And the fact that Charles is red and has a horn on it, and it's it's it's, cool. it's it's allegedly three times faster than an average Zaku. It just screams cool, and it makes sense. The yeah, we're gonna have to make toys out of the bad guy yeah. units. And um, you know, later as the show went on, the Xeon planes and Xeon transports and, and other stuff like the Doms and um. Uh, not the Hyzax, the sort of like the the Zaku upgrades and the Zeong. Uh, Okawara just got to go absolute the thing, ham. The, the thing is, it makes sense to, in the context of Gundam specifically. Galugs, that's the name of them. There we go. It makes sense specifically in the context of Gundam for these, for villain toys to be sold. Yeah. Because they were appearing consistently throughout the show yeah. and weren't just So one-offs. here's the thing. The crew was pissed about this. Yeah. Because they were like, what the hell do you mean we have to draw new designs? <laughs> I, like, because they would come up, because in the original TV series, it yeah. was they were sort of removed for the movies. Um, there were a lot more variations of mobile suits for um, Zeon. And they were like, we have to draw a new frigging suit this week. We don't have the manpower. And so Yasuhiko was like, all right, so in terms of storytelling, fuck it. The Germans developed a bunch of new technology end of the war. I guess we can use that excuse. Yeah. Which he's technically right. Like, you know, Germany went from bolt action rifles to inventing the first full automatic assault rifle by the end of World War II. Like, war escalates technology. So there's there's historical, what's the word I'm looking for? Relevance. For. Relevance and context yeah. that could yeah. be used as like, fuck it. Just, there, there justification. More, yeah, justification. It. So I'm just going to list a bunch more people before we get into, you know, your thoughts and feelings of the, of the movies and TV show, because that's what I'm really fascinated with, because... Yeah. I mean, that's why we're all here. Yeah, basically, because Gundam's very intimidating, and I'm very interested to hear two people who are not... Engrossed yeah. in this but genre, Gundam's also very important. It oh, it um, is. It's, it's worth it's worth discussing. Yeah. why that is. No, yeah, it's still relevant. Like there's a there's a statue. There is there is there is a moving ass statue that Japan poured so much Olympic money into that you can just go and see. So there's a uh, Kenichi Matsuzaki, who is the who is one of the writers. He was responsible for a lot of world building. Yeah, like if you heard the word Monofsky particle. He was the guy who created that. Long story short, it's complicated, but it's just a type of radiation that fucks of equipment and radio waves, yeah. which is why the big robots yeah. are needed for close-quartered combat. It's used as a justification for yeah, why Gundams basically. are there, but ultimately, it's not that important. Yeah, no. Yeah, and he also is credited for penning the uh, film trilogy. And there's also Hiroyuki uh, Yoshiyama, who's just another writer who just wrote a lot of key episodes. And then there's Takei Watanabe who is the composer, and Gundam mm. has a legendary soundtrack. 
I did enjoy the music for the show or for those films. It was so on I point every time. I did too. I thought it was really good. So here's actually an interesting tangent. Um, the first sign that Gundam was going to be a big success is that King Records yeah. produced the music for Gundam. They sold okay. they they sold anime vinyls, yep. which was their big uh, sort of a, an interesting crossover. Is that King Records would be the company that then went to sponsor Evangelion. <laughs> so yeah, King Records done very well for themselves yeah, in terms of anime, anime music. But no, um, the first Gundam vinyl was one of their highest selling records of the year. But it had a weird child. It had a very childish cover, and fans were quite embarrassed to buy it. Because here's the thing: they were assuming, oh, kids like this, but most people buying it were college students yep. and high schoolers. So this is where Yasuhiko's art saved Gundam. Because the second, the first album cover is just a sort of, hey kids, buy the toys, and the second is a watercolor painting, which he was a specialist at, of Amaro just alone on a desolate battlefield. And that album sold even better than the first one. Despite the fact that it had less iconic music on the disc. So it was purely due to Yasuhiko's art that the music sold like gangbusters. Because, you know, people are like, oh yeah, I, I can buy this because it's a cool album cover. Yeah. It's not like just a children's toy. And this is the kind of thing that starts the ball rolling yeah. on Gundam becoming the mega franchise it is. Yeah, so there's also... Uh... Sorry, is Gundam a mega franchise? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. Very big. yeah, it's not just the weird thing that I talk about at 2am to my American buddies I mean, in Massachusetts. It is, that, it is that as well. But... <laughs> so I, there's also uh, Noriyoshi uh, Matsura a lot of Matsuras, um, who is one of the sound designers who also worked with uh, Akihiko Matsuda, and they are credited for sound effects work and sound design, and Gundam is known for legendary sound design that I'm going to happily put excerpts in, also I'll put music in, and um, from the sound of a beam rifle to the Gundam coming online, to the various, just the steps, and the difficult, the difficult sort of to... Uh, capitulate mechanical movements. They're so iconic and they're used in so many, so many just franchises outside of Mecha. But I'll probably throw in also a few very key tracks later on when we talk about our famous uh, favorite moments. Uh, in terms of VAs, voice actors, the two most famous ones are Toro Fuyuya, who's he was he was Amaro. Yeah. He was barely twenty five when he was cast in the role. Yeah, no, and Suichi Okada, who we've also talked about, was Mr. Shah Osnabal. Like, it couldn't have been anyone else. Garuma, and also shout out to, I don't have his name here, but the narrator, who was super important to catch up people who missed episodes of the TV series. So with that said, I think it's important to move on to the show. So, gentlemen, Gundam. What are your thoughts, Vic? You haven't had much to say so far. I mean, the thing is, I can, uh, I don't have a ton of history with Gundam. Yeah, that's totally fair. The problem was, was that although I recognize that Gundam is clearly a fantastic show, 
it didn't grab me in the way that I hoped it would or other anime have. Yeah, um, I thought the political intrigue was really cool. I thought the plot was exquisitely, like, just done. It was layered yeah. really well. Yeah. Uh, so kudos to the writers on those uh, on those shows. I don't know their names, sadly. Jay, do you have them? Oh, yeah. No, we already named a bunch of them. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Just rewind a couple of seconds. You'll find them. Fine. Either way, I thought the writing was fantastic. Yeah. They had a bunch of other... It was just like it was layered superbly, each and every one. Yeah. yeah. Um... I'm trying to think. It's it's impressive. It's impressive because the movies, I think two is the weakest one just by in terms of it's clear that it's cramming 12 to 13 episodes yeah. of anime material in it. But it is impressively paced most of the time for the movies, at least in terms of trying to sort of cut and paste and using clever editing decisions. I would say the movie two has the best piercing yeah. of each of the films. But it's it's has the least going on in terms yeah. of stuff. There's there's actually a very key scene taken from midway for the series, which I do want to talk about. Okay. But um in terms of the TV series, it's peaks and valleys. Like the first 12 episodes, fucking solid. Like Gundam yeah. was one of the great best pilots to a series. Like, you know, Rise Gundam is just it establishes everything you need about the TV series. Wait, was it was it a good pilot or was it good in terms of ratings? Okay, it was so my understanding that the ratings were really bad. It was good in terms bad. of quality, but mm. so I actually yeah. have this here. In uh, episode one, had three point nine million, and for seventy nine, that wasn't very impressive. Okay, the Gundam's highest ratings were like nine point nine, and I think that was the episode Return of Shah, and its lowest episode rating was episode seven, which had a one point nine percent. So it should be noted that Gundam was kind of shafted by time slots, yeah. as is the story of a lot of cult TV shows that came around. So, yeah. Um, fun fact, Yasuhiko actually was in a meeting with Toei, and he asked to turn the TV on because he wanted to see the premiere of his baby. Right. Uh, was it, Did it premiere on time? It did. It okay, did premiere. Okay. And, he, oh, okay. and everyone was like, oh, yeah, that was fine. But he was glued to the screen saying, we fucking did it. Oh, yay. But, yeah, I, I like I said, like, they... <laughs> The thing is, I think they did the absolute best job with yeah. the tools they had at the time because the plot came through. As I noted before, despite the fact that they had fucking zero colors by the sides of things. Yeah, it looks incredible. I love Double of 79's aesthetic. They've, they've really knocked it out of the park with the aesthetic. They took advantage of the fact that, okay, we don't have a lot of colors, so let's just fuck the whole shading thing yeah. and just make high contrast yeah. scenarios, yeah. which is a great choice when you don't have a ton of color. I think that the crew worked, again, like very well with the limitations that they had. People say that like limitation breeds creativity, and I think in Gundam, yeah. it's absolutely fucking Though true. Though not without consequences, because here's yes. the thing: it picks itself back up by the end. But the mid midpoint through Gundam, there's a lot of sort of reused animation, and that's because Yasuhiko collapsed from overwork. Like uh, this, this is, and that's very, very common in the anime industry. More but than you e might think, even yeah, but like even back then, it was like Jesus Christ, you are overworking this yeah. man because he was the art director. He was the guy who did everything. So Tomino, who was a dude who didn't do animation, was forced to actually pick up a pencil and start drawing frames. And Yasuhiko, when he was recovering in bed, would watch Gundam episodes and he would cringe because he was like, I would have done something differently. It's like me listening back to episodes, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think this was a... Uh, either way, I thought they did a fantastic job given the... 
given the problems that they had during thing. And that's, again, not even touching the whole, he he got into a hospital, so their art director was fucked. And also it was cancelled, technically. Kind of. What it sounds like, it was also the art team wanted to leave, or everyone wanted to leave toward the end of the show. Vic? You have no idea how correct you are. <laughs> yeah. Because what happened is that Gundam was originally going to run for 50 episodes. Then they were like, fuck this, we're cancelling this. Uh, then they managed to bargain for 43. Technically 42, because there's a famous episode called Doan's Island, which features some of the worst animation in all of Gundam. And then that one, isn't that the one that got pulled Yes, it's, it's, it's the one that Tomino refused to export. And this year, a movie version of it was made with Yasuhiko directing, which will be his final directing work, I think. So um, with that in mind, everyone wanted to move on to other projects so they could finish up on Gundam. And in the interim, because I'll talk about my favorite stuff, this was kind of rough for the crew because Tomino wanted to move on to his new project. And it's, you know, he's going to he's going to do it this time. His next project, Space Runaway Edion, was also cancelled early and no one liked it. Yeah. So um, this poor guy had to go through the same motions twice in two years. And then, I think it was either during or after Edion. Yes, during. Then the films came along. So here's what happened in terms of that. We'll run through history and then I'll ask you about your favourite moments yeah. and then I'll go through. So Gundam was massively successful through reruns. Yes. And massively successful through, you know, fan clubs and people would actually people would actually go out and buy shitty toys just to support Gundam because they'd sort of read uh fan magazines and say, Oh, Gundam's in trouble, guys. Yeah. And really it, it really was banded together. But no one, according to Tell Me No, and no according to Tell Me No, no one, no one dug dug Gundam like chicks dug Gundam, and according to him, whenever he'd get fan mail, it would predominantly be from young women. Like, this is a it's it's a weird phenomenon that doesn't that a lot of nerd cultures don't like to touch upon because exactly. a lot of nerd cultures can be quite misogynistic. Um, women have been the driving force for fandoms since forever, since its inception, yes. and Gundam is no different. Yeah. The reason why Gundam is often called Japanese Star Trek is because in both instances letter writing campaigns and fan organization was largely done by women like women would come and visit the animation studio women didn't care about its target demographic they loved the drama and the political intrigue and they just kind of you know accepted the the robots and combat were part of the ride they created huge amounts of fan works they created fan conventions they they cosplayed they did so much to build an otaku fan base so there is so the, so so speaking of otaku, speaking of just fandom in general, Gundam literally ushered in. Uh, Tomino wanted to usher in a new century of anime as reference to his own show because I love you, you narcissistic bald motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> he's he's nice. We can forgive him. Oh, he's such a jolly old cynic these days. I love him. Um, look up Yoshiki Tomino interview and he'll have some crazy takes. He was, he was angry that the kids in your name didn't have more sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's a take. That That's a take. Fucking. <laughs> and I'm not making that up. It's, I, I love him so much because he's, he's just so out there. He doesn't give a fuck No, anymore, he doesn't, clearly. but in the best way. He's always very polite, but he's very passionate about what he <laughs> believes in. And he believes that the children should be having sex. He's a better version of Shinzo Abe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, look, you know, oh, look, you know, okay. if, if Japan, in order to repopulate, Japan needs to all embrace their new type ideologies. They need to free their souls from gravity. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, so get, getting back, getting back, dear God. So, um, Gundam gets greenlit for a movie. And Tomino's like, yes, we can finish this. I've plotted out a whole trilogy. We're going to get Yasuhiko to redraw all yeah. the bad animation. And the company's like, sorry, um, I don't think you heard me. You get one movie because they weren't going to commit the resources to make a trilogy of a TV show that had a cult following. But here's what changed their minds. What happened? So they looked out the window one day or they got reports in that people were lining up outside for Gundam. They were like, that doesn't make sense. It's not releasing for another couple of months. People were lining outside to pre-book tickets. And so Gundam broke the all records of all time for the most pre-booked movie of all time. And that's what convinced them to make the whole trilogy on the spot because they knew they had something. They knew they would make the money. Yeah. And so when it came to one of the announcement dates or premieres, the amount of people who came in homemade cosplay, like this is the 70s. There's no guides for this shit. They'd probably just have to sort of, you know, memorize, you know, uh, magazine covers or... Or take clippings out of magazines, yes. or even just fucking take photographs of the Yeah, TV. so people were dressed as, like, the actual Gundam, people were dressed as Amaro, as Bright. A lot of women were dressed as Sailor and uh, Mirai. Like, a lot yeah. of women came to support this event, and it was a massive, massive event. And it guaranteed that the Gundam trilogy absolutely smashed box office records, with a little help of Gunpla. Now... Yeah. Ladies, gentlemen, and others, if you don't know what Gunpla is, Gunpla is a mix between Gundam and plastic. They're plastic model kits that you can build and assemble yourself without yes. any glue, but you essentially put them together, and by appealing to a, people who like to build model kits, as opposed to people who like to just dunk action figures in the mud, they made a ton of money because people who were adults could display them and not yes. be embarrassed. Gunpla can perhaps be best described as Bionicle for adults. Yeah, no, basically is. Like, it's still a massive business to this day. God knows when I'm next paid, I'll probably get more kits. Honest, I'd probably buy Gunpla at some point someday. It's, it, this, it's so zen, and it's essentially just like... I but I build other things, yeah, so it's no, fine. It's, it you, makes sense. you build desks, PCs, and skateboards that break, so... <laughs> yeah, uh, excuse me, electric skateboards that break, That's thank fair you. Enough. Clearly you needed to, you know, you needed to adjust the Minofsky particle <laughs> meter. Exactly, you know, you know, that's what happened you know, there. You, you know, you're... you're if Shaw, Shaw painted his Saku red to go three times fast, yours is beige, so maybe it was going slower than other uh, off-the-line electric skateboards It'd built in a basement. Work, man. <laughs> well, it's what happens when you build the battery pack yourself. It's yeah. a dangerous play. I'm, a, I'm amazed you didn't, like, incinerate yourself. I'm amazed I didn't incinerate yeah, myself. Yeah, that, that's fair. So, Gundam the movie trilogy releases, and I guess you could the rest is history, you could say. Basically, yeah, like, from the trilogy's success... The otaku identity is born. It encourages, you know, more people to make original sci-fi anime. Macross comes out a couple of years after the movie trilogy. Then Gundam Zeta comes out in 1985, and it just keeps going. It encourages a whole generation of fans to start making their own fucking anime yeah, working no, in the like, industry. A lot of people like Hideaki Anno and friggin' Was inspired? No, no, he was already working yeah. by this point. But he was a big, he was big into the mechanical design stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, but, but I, to, to, like, 
there'd be crossover and they would have known about each other, yeah, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Toriyama's in his you own Shoji sphere. Kawamori, creator of Matt Cross. Yeah, Shoji Kawamori, Hideaki Anno, you know, uh, Yutaki Tsubuchi, like a lot of people who would see Gundam. Like Hiroyuki Imaishi, like, you know, the current big dick man at Studio Trigger, has said multiple times that he considers the original Mobile Suit Gundam to be the perfect blend of super and real robot. Yeah. Like, a lot of people just love... It's like saying the original Star Wars is your favorite movie. Like, Gundam is just that to so many Japanese people. And it's something that you can respect, because Gundam's good. It's fucking good. Like, my my thoughts on it are that it's a very solid, well-made, like, incredibly animated, both for the era and for the kind of conditions that they were working under. The action is incredibly impressive, especially when you've got to choreograph fight scenes in space. Yep. And that hadn't really been done in animation yeah. to that extent like i mean they were doing it concurrently but no one had nailed it down yeah, yeah no not that's really what it seems like yeah no that's a very um, wise in observation terms of big robots flying around in four-dimensional space gundam makes it work very fucking well i, I, I was well. impressed by it i thought it was really good um like the, as in the choreography never felt awkward and off because i've seen that even in uh independent movies about like say space yes and they're trying to do fight scenes in it they it's very easy to break the 180 rule when you're in space well look we have brought up berserk 2016 multiple times in this podcast as an example of how not to use 3d space and animation but gundam is not an example of that gundam is a ironically like later gundam shows actually pushed cg to a new level like stuff stuff like unicorn origin like really so like you know if you want cg done right you go to sunrise it's worth considering that obviously me and vic are talking about the movie trilogy and not the so the tv series has a lot of great stuff to offer like it's not just that the tv series is the de facto inferior product there's a lot of cool character stuff there's a lot of sort of you know stuff that had to be cut for the sake of time you spend a lot more time with the white base crew like I love the crew of the white base. Like, I'll be honest, watching the movie trilogy more than anything, to be honest, it just makes me want to go and watch the series. Yeah. Because the movies do a very solid job like, of the telling thing. the story. They are designed to get people in. Yeah. Like the, they are the yeah. po- one of the best examples to say, what's the first gun? I should watch movie trilogy. No question. Yeah. And it does a thing of, I just feel like watching the series would be a substantially more relaxing experience so yeah i was actually gonna talk about this a bit because i've noticed it was some animes and some animes have their movie compilation versions some of them don't and i wanted to know a bit actually dragon ball z had it technically with dragon ball z kai where the compilation movie if we're gonna go that route where it's shorter and they take a lot of the they pick up the Mm. pace massively but they can drop a lot of the intermediate moments. Yeah. Now, with Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z Kai, there was too much space. They were staring at each other for way too long. It was... Oh, t- yes. Yes, there was too many stupid moments. But sometimes it needs the pace picked up. And that's why I was going to ask, because Jay's only the only one that's seen both. Okay. Do, is there pacing moments that are fucked up? Or is it like... Okay, so... Like with Evangelion's original thing, where you've got the elevator scene that's 45 yes. seconds long, okay. and it's silence, but it means something. Or is it just dumb DBZ shit? Okay, so... On one hand, that elevated scene doesn't mean anything. They were padding for time. Two, <laughs> uh, not true. In the director's cut, even when Hideaki Anno had all dude, the time, dude, I was in the doing world, that to piss you off. Oh, you got you mission accomplished then, you motherfucker! Mission accomplished. But look, continue. Look, you are so you are so lucky that I've been very nice and not restricted the use of the word Evangelion to less than four times this goddamn episode. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll fucking get there. 
<laughs> but um, so in essence, it's kind of a, a path between like, so for instance, one of my favorite episodes is The Winds of War, where essentially, because during the plot of Gundam, there's a bunch of unruly civilians who are like, we just want to land on Earth. And they're like, okay, that's cool. See out there, there's a war. See the war? That's why you can't land right now, you fuckers. And so what happens is a mother and her child uh, kind of just brave the, you know, direction of this town that her husband lives in, and two Xeon soldiers are on patrol. And they drop something, and they assume it's a bomb, but no, they drop medical supplies. And it sort of really humanizes the enemy. And by the end, those two soldiers kind of, like, survive the battle. And they reveal that, you know, the ashes around them are the remains of the town that she's looking for. It's a really it's a really cool thing that had to be cut for time because it was just another episode of Gundam. But there's a lot of nice little moments like that. Granted, some of them are a little redundant, and with very clever editing, such as in the movie, you don't necessarily need them. But it's why the the movies are a companion piece. Yes, from the signs of it, there's a lot more human moments in the TV series, whereas the films are going to be very much about getting you through the plot as quickly yeah. as possible. And like the important stuff is saved. Like, you know, yeah. the primary characters, Amaro, Shah, Sailor, you know, they're going to get most of the screen yeah. time. But if you want more Kai, you want more Hayato, that kind of stuff, you, the TV series will it's, serve you well. Honestly, like I, I enjoyed the movies quite a bit. They mm. were a great time. Um, and I wouldn't not recommend them to people. Yeah. However, I must say, and this is the case with a lot of compilation films from the era, they can be hard to get through. And that's, yeah, so not, this that's is, not because they're not good. It's because be they end multiple times and Gundam is very guilty of this. Yes, but also it's just the amount of storytelling, the amount of content that's yeah. crammed into these two movie, these three movies, it can be really hard to just digest yeah. it all. So the first Gundam film suffers from this a lot because it's very clear that there are multiple emotional high points where episodes end perfectly, yep. but they've got to just continue because yep. they've got to hit that two hour. Vic was gesturing at me very, very intensely. Yes, excited. Um, yes, because I couldn't agree with you more. I was where you were talking about the fact that there's a weird, it's not even necessarily like a weird, it's a very strange pace. And it's yes. not just the first film, although the first film might have it the worst, but all three films have some version of this weird pace to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the piercing of the, oh, this isn't the piercing of a movie. This is the piercing of, of a 12 TV. to 13 episodes. Yes, that have been chopped up and squished together. Yeah. Though that being said, my favorite of the trilogy, like it's a very common opinion, yeah. Encounters in Space is the oh, best yes. one. It's, like, no question. It's arguably the one that, whilst I think that 2 has better pacing overall, I think... So much is, shit is paid off yep, in the final arc. It's the one that feels most like a, a contained film yeah. in and of itself. So, like, that has the most redrawn animation, that has, like, a more refinement, like, you know, there's, there's, a there's a bit in the series where the gun tank is fighting in space. Yeah. It's a tank... What's it gonna do in space? So it's replaced with just another um, gun cannon, and Sailor gets to fly a very specific uh, type of jet fighter. In the series, there's a bunch of combination practice methods, like, you know, combining is a get a robo thing they established, so they combine a bunch with the core fighter in the series. It's neat, but it kind of is a holdover from the super robot yeah. genre. The movies are definitely refined. The, well, I think the movies do, in terms of like the development of the mecha genre more than anything, mm -hmm. is they sort of strip out a lot of those super elements yeah. and streamline it to be more real. Like it's still a giant robot with laser cannons that can oh, yeah. vaporize you, but it's, you know, the beam rifle needs ammunition. It needs to be refueled. Well, well, the thing that seems to differentiate super robots from the real robot mm -hmm. style 
is that the drama in a real robot seems to be from the political conflict and drama between the characters. Yeah, which yes. whereas whereas in Super Robot, it's that, that stuff more can power. exist, but yeah, it's more shonen in terms of action storytelling and and yeah. Which hey, if you're into it and if it's done right, it's great. It's great every way. None of none of this is to shit on Super, Super Robot in rules, any way, dude. It's yeah. a great time. It's yeah. fantastic. Exactly. It's really fun. But it's understandable that there's a development along the lines of starting to treat it a bit more seriously as a genre. And Gundam's kind of the jumping off off point for that in a lot of ways. Back in Mayday, there was just one robot and we called him Doug. None of this super and real robot. You want to know? You want to know what's real? Your girlfriend. Oh, whoops, wait, you've never had one. Back in May Day, I had to travel all the way to Japan, which was just called Little China back in May Day, in order to get my copy of Astro Boy 1.5. It's which been is a the while, Greg. <laughs> It's been a while. It's all, all this. I was there when Gundam was released. I was sitting in the cinema with my, my, my Super 8 camera taking pictures of Sailor's Bottom. <laughs> and then and that's how I created the hentai subgenre. But all these young people are ruining it with their fucking Buffy the Demon Slayers and fucking Jewish Kaizen or whatever, whatever they call it. Ugh. Why did we resurrect Grunkle Greg again? I don't remember. I can't be killed! <laughs> Oh, uh, we proved this already. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, because he died and then we resurrected him. But it's one of those things where when you get resurrected, you just end up becoming He, he got his Zenkai boost. Okay, oh. I'm just going to put Grunkle Greg in the cupboard. I remember when I was drinking with Gona Guy and I told him that his women don't boon nearly enough. I'm very lonely. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't be laughing at your sadness, Greg, but... Oh, he's it's already in the basement. Funny. It's too late. Oh, he's gone. Okay. Look, I'll just I'll just feed him some of my bootleg Haruhi figures. He'll he'll have he'll have some nourishment. He'll have something to nibble on. Uh, for everyone new to the podcast, that's the return of our definitely very funny bit and not me doing a not me doing a voice. Grunkle Greg, my incredulous Scottish uncle who hates anime but knows a lot about yes, it. Yes, and all he does <laughs> is sit in his basement and watch things on his four by three CRT monitor. Yeah. He uses Betamax. He, be- he believes yeah. VHS was too far. All he does is watch anime from the 70s, 80s and complain about how bad it was. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's his entire <laughs> back thing. In, back in his day, anime was better when it didn't move. <laughs> yep. Back in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. Back when it was Japanese war propaganda. Yeah. That's when it was truly... He'd watch people. Japanese subtitled copies of Triumph of the Will. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to list off a bunch of my favorite moments okay. because a lot of them yes. do come from... There's obviously there's the famous Bright Slap when yeah. Lieutenant Bright is famous for beating children. That's a massive listen, meme in the Gundam community. Listen, I, that was my favorite moment of the whole show. I couldn't believe half the shit that happened when he was like that. When she got, when he slapped someone, I was like, what? And then everyone wasn't just like going, hey, that wasn't, what the fuck are you doing? Nope, everyone went, ah, it's your fault, woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah. so I've got to address a lot of people get slapped in this fucking show. Oh, it's quite funny. Yeah, it's it, it's, 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 because it's not punched. 
Like, Zeta Gundam, people get punched, but it's just an open-palmed fucking comedy slap as a way of disciplining children who don't want to get in the death machine. Or women! Let's not forget the women that need the discipline too, To apparently. be fair, Sailor slaps Kai a few times. Like, it's it's pretty gender-balanced in terms of who's getting slapped in Gundam. Uh, that's a fair I, point. I, I, I thought it was hilarious when Mirai got slapped. Yeah. And everyone blamed Mirai! Uh, <laughs> that was so fucking funny! Okay, so, I've got a bring this up because I will make an argument right. that perhaps more fe- no, no, okay, so feminist critics could criticize Gundam for oh, being a bit dated, yeah, there, there's a but lot here's, to here's the thing, here's the thing that I will fucking die on Right. To see two active bridge officers that were young women that were capable and trusted to do their jobs in a Japanese TV program was fucking revolutionary. Yeah, like, actually, yeah, this is this is a good point because prior to this, in a lot of 70s anime, particularly like spearsfaring anime, yeah. there's usually one woman, just the one. Yeah. Just one female character, and she might be an officer, you know, she'll be on the bridge. Yeah. But she doesn't do that much. Yeah, because for context, using Star Trek as an example, like, you know, Nichelle Nichols' rest in peace was revolutionary, but most of her lines could have been given to anyone else. Like, you know, a lot of, you know, women in science fiction didn't do much. But Sailor pilots a Gundam. Sailor pilots the core fighter. Mirai in the TV series actually sucks. It's got cut for time. She takes command because Bright overworks himself. She's in command. Yeah, no. She and Sailor are in command of the white base for a solid four to five episodes. I was actually going to say this, like the Gundam movies, funnily enough, are probably movies that would pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. Which is just for everyone not li- who isn't in the know. It's uh, if two women can have a conversation and it's not about men or relationships yeah. or, uh, you know, um, makeup or something like extremely stereotypically female mm. and it actually like represents character development or growth and personality not just like sailor rules like yeah. sailor's a great character yeah. so if, given that it was the 70s and it was animation uh, it yeah. showed up and japan well has today. always been very agendered society yes yes, yes. Uh, japan has not been great for women or people, uh, so the cultural values of how women are treated in Japan is very different. They're getting better, but West. dear God, yes. they've been stuck in tradition it for a while. Ends up coming across in anime, particularly in the seventies and eighties, substantially because they were trying to gear mm. a lot of that content towards boys. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's perfect. No, it's not. I'll it's give not. it credit where credit is due. Even for today, um, Gundam is shockingly okay on the whole uh, female representation there's approach. A, there's even a whole arc, which I imagine was an episode in of itself, of Sailor running around being like, I'm a woman, I can fight just as well as a man. Yeah, that's, that, that, that is foreshadowed as that's kind of, it's also kind of just, look, I've got to find Shaw. Look, yeah. look my, my brother's a psychopath, he's probably going to kill billions of people, I've just got to talk to him, yeah. man. Though, but that's less because she's a woman, and more because it's a brother and sister oh, yeah, dynamic. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That, a lot of that stuff is fleshed out in Origin. But talking of Sailor, she's also responsible for the creation of an entire medium. Okay, okay so we Here have we to go. get to this, because it's yeah, my favorite yeah. fact. Because I was just lauding over the fact that I think Sailor is a very pro-feminist character. She is. But she also was a pretty blonde woman to a lot of very developing Japanese boys. So there was a fanzine that published a nude illustration of Sailor. And a lot of the Gundam staff got a hold of this and said, wow, this is this is kind of weird, this is a big deal. And then Yoshiyuki Tomino called up the fanzine and said, why isn't she sexier? 
<laughs> yeah, so, so Yoshiyuki Tomino. Just as we were making a bit of progress there, we were saying, hey, you know what? Gundam's pretty good for female representation. Not overly sexualized, none of that shit. Just, just when we were oh, there. Oh, Tomino. Yeah, yeah, so he was like, her nipples are the wrong color. Like, that's the direct quote. I love I love this kooky old man, but I don't understand him. But I uh, no, honestly, that's fine. I'll, I'll accept his artistic. So what I'm getting at is the I fact that there was nudity in the original Mobile Suit Gunner, but it's not sexualized. Like for instance, Shaw's in the shower for a few seconds. Like you know, Mirai is trying to fix a bath uh, hinge when Amaro comes in. Like a lot of it is very naturistic, yes. very naturalistic. But there's one scene in the final Gundam film where Sailor is seen bare from all sides, just when she's getting out of the shower to get ready for combat. And what boys would do is they would sneak in with disposable cameras, take pictures of that five seconds of footage that was available, and then sort of develop them and then trace over them. And then that's how doujinshi, that's how sort of like pornographic hentai comics kind of got one of their biggest well, starts was due to Gundam. I'd avoid like talking, like, Hentai doujinshi, absolutely. Yeah. Doujinshi is a much broader term. Yeah, than exa- just exactly. Porn. To- totally. But yeah, absolutely. In terms of doujin, of pornog- pornographic doujinshi of big anime franchises, there wasn't really that much of that before Gundam. There was bits and pieces, yeah. but Gundams where it kicks off yeah, and but, but people start getting randy for it. Uh, we're kind of coming up, and I'm just going to list a bunch of my favorite moments because yeah, I've been delaying. It. Most of them come from the final film. There's the motherfucking like solar panel heat ray that decimates that's the Federation. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. Motherfucking Big Zam. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's basically a fucking Death Star. No, it is being real. Yeah. and Big Zam being piloted by Dozel. It was just a good dad. Yeah. Maybe I'm just an edgy boy, but I really loved the scene with Amaro and his dad, who's just gone yeah, fucking yeah, mad. Yeah. Amaro's dad is like, you have to put this into the Gundam. It's so good. And Amaro's like, this is just a piece of trash, you crazy old fuck. Yeah. yeah and Amaro's dad is realizing, oh, his dad is just fucking gone. Yeah. That was, uh, but then again, I'm an edgy boy. So That's continue. a great scene. Oh, was it's, a- it's, it's a good scene. It's very, it's one of the most human scenes yeah. in the films. And speaking yes. of human scenes, when like a Xeon spy sneaks onto the the white base and then helps Kai yep. and then she just falls out of the plane due to the shock of the missiles. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually a scene that made Tomino and a lot of other staff kind of just a little weepy. Oh, yeah, fair and, play. Uh, it's, it's quite an emotional story. Yeah, arc, there's but... the there's the Gundam Gelug and then Gundam Zeong duel. Yeah. Which the, there's a very famous shot of a headless Gundam shooting upwards, which has been sort of ingrained in Gundam iconography. Uh, there's then when Shar and Amuro have a motherfucking sword fight in the Jabrow base. That's a good time. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, there's Lala's vision. Like, oh, so all of the stuff with Lala and Amuro having their weird psychedelic it's time. It's so good. Mwah. Fucking gorgeous animation. Like, it's the fact that through a science fiction concept, two people can understand each other to such a personal degree that maybe one day by working, like the whole, we haven't even touched on the concept of new types yet. Like, for long story short, the whole idea about new types is by working and and sort of developing in space, humans will transcend to a higher plane of existence, and Lala, being a very gifted psychic woman, kind of has this vision with Amuro where they connect spiritually just before she's tragically killed, and it's this wonderful, almost watercolor demonstration of a psychic link going beyond what is known as humanity. And then after that, 
there are two of the best animated headshots of all time. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, so I've got to talk about this. So, first, when Cassilia Zabi, the red-headed masked woman, shoots her brother Giran in the face, and then his body just floats yep. off, and then she's like, has anyone got a problem with this? Then one ensign's like... Uh, he died a hero! Yeah, and she's just like, damn, fuck him, right? Yeah. Did. I'm in charge now. And then there's my favorite scene in all of the original Gundam, uh, where yeah. where Shaw has a fucking RPG outside of Sailor... Uh, sorry, outside of um, friggin' Cassilia's ship, and he says, My dear Garma, I'll be sending your sister to you very soon. And then he fires the rocket, and it just beheads her! It takes off her head, literally. And fun fact about that scene, that was animated by Ichiro Itano, a legendary animator who would go on to develop the Macross Missile Barrage, known as the Itano Dance. If you've ever seen a bunch of uh, anime missiles chase after a target, he was the dude who pioneered that. So, yeah, I think with all of that gushing, I think I'm almost done here. Like, the yeah. only thing I would say in terms of what we need to talk about is Gundam in the modern anime day. And here's the thing, it's kind of more accessible and more popular than it ever has it been. It absolutely is. OG Gundam was not very well accessible for Western fans. Like, it had two airings on Toonami, but one was cancelled due to 9-11, and the other was cancelled due to low ratings. And then it was always the alt Gundam series, like Gundam Wing and Gundam Seed. Even G Gundam. Yeah, yeah, no, G G Gundam, like all the old stuff, like Double O, and the you know some of the OVAs, like AFMS Team yeah. and uh, Stardust Memory, caught on a little bit. But the original Gundam landed on Netflix a few years ago, and it's constantly in the top in terms of watched in terms of anime, and that's getting, great. It's constantly getting more popular among single speaking fans. Yeah. Like I have, I, I know people who are not like watch anime but aren't hugely into anime who buy Gunpla, yeah, fucking build it, and I'm just like. Huh. Gundam is slowly breaking its way into the Anglosphere in a way that it previously hadn't. Yeah. Like, I would, uh, for instance, I would not be shocked to see a Gundam film get a cinematic release in the UK. Yeah. When, like, these days, when, like, five, ten years ago, I, that would I mean, not I'd, have I'd say happened. we're a little bit off in terms of that, but the Gundam, Gundam Witch of Mercury, the newest TV series, is going to be simulcasting this October. It's just something that's, and it will probably be the most successful Gundam TV show in America because of the sheer amount of goodwill that's been built towards it since, like, Iron-Blooded Orphans aired five, ten years, sorry, five, seven years ago. I'd say IBO is another point of, like, modern anime fans discovering yeah. Gundam and going, this is great. Yeah, IBO's a great entry point. So, yeah, with that said... This has been the Garugamesh podcast. This is an episode that's meant a lot to me, and I hope we did it justice. This episode's been in the works since we since started. I'm yeah, pretty much. Like you knew more or less at some point we were going to be doing it. You didn't want to do it for the for when we did season one because you decided that would be DBZ, and I think it was uh, season two. You decided, all right, screw it. We're this go had for to it. be Gundam before we did Evangelion, before we did Gurren, Gunbuster, Code Geass, anything else. We had to do Gundam. Oh, I think it's a good choice. And I'm very glad we did. So, with that being said, use your new type senses to rate and review us on all um, podcasting apps. Uh, leave us a nice review. Um, talk to us on garugamesh uh, at gmail.com. Keep an eye out for some changes to the podcast that might be coming in the coming weeks. Maybe, maybe by working and listening together, we can all achieve galactic peace. But until then, I love sushi. I love Japan. And I love you all. Staying fans.
I'll probably play some London music. Oh yeah, play some London okay, music. Okay, go for it.